Have you ever had someone in your life that you had difficulty interacting with? Maybe they seemed unapproachable or stern or unforgiving of missteps. Maybe you felt you were always embarrassing yourself, clumsy, awkward, or generally wrong-footed. I remember feeling like this for much of my childhood in relation to my granddaddy. Granddaddy always seemed like someone who expected a lot out of me out of, as his first grandchild, and it often seemed like I could get on his bad side easily. Everyone knew he was hard-nosed and demanding, and even his children, who loved him very much, would likely say that hard-nosed and demanding might be diplomatic. I don't exactly recall when our relationship changed, though it was certainly after I became a teenager. At some point, Granddaddy was still demanding, but suddenly I didn't feel like I was always in the wrong. Over time, we grew to have a relationship such that he could tell me on his deathbed that I was a good grandson and that he loved me, and I knew every word for truth. Our gospel lesson this morning shows us the vulnerability of Jesus' disciples, seeking to know how to rightly approach God in a way that is pleasing to him. I imagine that for a first century Jew in Roman-occupied Palestine, that God might seem rather difficult to approach. We know from the Old Testament that often the Israelites had notions about how to approach God that put them on bad footing before him. We heard an example of how humanity felt off balance in talking to God in the Old Testament lesson today. Abraham gingerly requests God's mercy, no matter how many times God promises it without reluctance or without resistance. He is constantly afraid of saying the wrong thing or pushing God too far with his pleas for mercy on Sodom and Gomorrah. We hear similar examples like this throughout the Old Testament, humans being in fear for their life when God comes near them, and especially when they are interceding for others. Returning to the Gospel lesson, the disciples see Jesus praying and approach him after he is finished to ask his instruction on how to pray. There are two things at play in this request that I think are important for us to understand in our 21st century context. First, a common mark of discipleship to a rabbi in first century Judea was that he taught his followers a specific prayer. These followers would then take up reciting this prayer as a symbol of their submission to the rabbi's teachings. When Jesus' disciples ask him to teach them how to pray, I don't think they're primarily saying that they have no idea how to pray. Instead, they are doing what other disciples of rabbis and teachers did, and what many of them had probably done in following earlier teachers. Textual evidence for this comes from them asking Jesus to teach them as John taught his disciples. Second, even though they didn't mean it in the sense that they were ignorant of how to pray, they were ignorant of how to pray rightly. This is why Jesus continues with his parable about waking up a friend in the middle of the night to ask for ingredients to make food. The disciples were expecting a prayer that could, they could memorize and recite with one another as, mark, as a mark of their discipleship. What we got was that symbol of submission to the teacher, along with valuable insight into how to talk to God. This teaching received by the disciples 
and recorded for us here by St. Luke reveals that God is much more willing to hear and grant our requests than we often are to pray. I'm often surprised at first when people seem most encouraged by me both advising them to pray over a concern or, and committing to pray with them. Sometimes it seems like even the most prayerful people need an explicit reminder to enter into God's presence and ask for his favor, grace, and mercy. It's like we come at prayer from the perspective of a tool that is set on a shelf for the time we need it, not realizing that there is almost never a time when we do not need the tool in our hand. And I say this as much about my own life as I do for anyone else. This seems to be a fairly common sentiment among us. There are two explanations for this that come to my mind. First, we may think that our struggles and cares are too petty for God to worry about. And so we, do, we try not to bother him until we know we can't handle whatever situation it is. Second, we feel that we ought to be able to handle the situations set before us and may view asking for help from God as giving up and that doing so brings shame on us. Jesus' teaching about prayer in this lesson shows us that the expectation is not that we keep to ourselves and only bother God when we really need him. Instead, God dearly wants us to come to him with whatever our cares and concerns are. God wants us to be in relationship with him, and all relationships require communication. God speaks to us in a variety of ways through the word, through the soft, still voice of the spirit in daily life, through our Christian friends and neighbors. We speak to God in prayer and praise and thanksgiving. So if we are not praying, then we are failing in our relationship with God just as surely as if we stop speaking to our spouses or friends or family. The thrust of the lesson that Jesus gives to his disciples is to always pray. Prayer isn't our last resort, it's our first action. It isn't our plan B, it's our plan A. If we want something from God, the only surefire way to not receive it is to not ask. Since part of our vision statement as a parish centers on cultivating patterns of prayer, it seems especially important for us to rightly pursue a prayer-filled life. To that end, let's ask ourselves, how are we to pray? First, we acknowledge that God has authority over us. If we can't do this, then our prayers are pure vanity and hypocrisy. Since they are less prayers and more commands, edicts we expect the creator of the universe to carry out on our behalf. By saying, Our Father, we remind ourselves not just of his authority, but of his loving authority. Tyrants have authority but they care nothing about what their subjects desire unless it aligns with their own goals. Good fathers wield authority for the shaping of children into functioning and well-adjusted adults. Having proclaimed God's loving authority over us, we ask what is placed on our hearts, listening to the ways God speaks to us. Since they come from Jesus, we can safely assume that the petitions of the Lord's Prayer are some of those which God most wants us to ask him. When we pray for the church, we are praying for the coming of his kingdom. When we pray for the material needs of others, 
we are praying for the provision of daily bread. Finally, when we pray for peace and reconciliation, we are praying for the forgiveness of sins, both those done by us and done to us, as well as for protection from evil, discord, and violence. That covers the mechanics, so to speak, of how to pray. But prayer is not about a right formula or saying exactly the right words. A right heart before God is necessary. We must truly be seeking to find. We must find the door that is closed and then knock on it for it to be opened. We must keep pleading even in the face of silence and doubts. We must remember that God is the perfect father who gives better gifts than even the evil fathers of the earth who still do good things for their children simply because it will please them. Finally, we must remember and accept that sometimes God says no to our requests. Fathers sometimes deny things their children ask for out of a desire to protect, to discipline, or to encourage to better things. A loving father does not simply give his children everything they ask for all the time, even if it could harm them. If my son asks for a snake, I'm not going to give it to him, even if snakes are what he most desires in the world at that moment. Like some of you, I came from a tradition that valued and emphasized extemporaneous prayer. And in my private devotions and intercessions, I still tend to pray spontaneously. But I found great beauty in praying the prayers of the church handed down over the long centuries. On days that God grants me the grace to slow down and meditate on the prayers of the liturgy as I say them, I often find new meaning in the words I've said many times day in and day out. Authentic prayer to God is not either spontaneous or recited liturgy. It is both and. What makes authentic prayer is the heart behind the words we say. What makes authentic prayer is possessing the wonder that we are children of a loving Father. Finally, what makes authentic prayer is listening to the Spirit, both in the words put on our hearts in the moment, and the words the Church has always prayed, everywhere and at all times. The Collect Prayer for this week first acknowledges that God is always more ready to hear than we to pray, willing to give more than we either desire or deserve. Out of this knowledge of God's loving willingness to hear and to give, we ask first for mercy and for the good things that we are not worthy to ask. I encourage you to come back to this prayer throughout this week as you consider how you are being led into prayer. As we continue in our liturgy today and go about our lives this week, let us have hearts and minds earnestly seeking God in authentic prayer. Amen.